Well, good morning again, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. Welcome to church. I failed to uh, introduce myself earlier for our guests. Um, I am Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor. And um, if you are our guest or you're watching online, we're just so glad you decided to worship with us this morning. Um, We kicked off last week uh, a brand new series called The Parables of the Kingdom of God. And last week, um, I kicked it off by talking about right-handed power versus left-handed power. And I talked about Jesus' preference to establish his kingdom on earth, the kingdom of God, through left-handed power. Now, I'm not going to get into what that means. Um, If you missed it, you can go back online and you can uh, check that out. Um, But today, uh, we're going to look at the parable of the sower. Um, We're going to start looking at these parables. And Jesus used parables to teach. And oftentimes, the parables were confusing they were frustrating, they were discouraging, um, because the, the parables of the kingdom of God are mysterious. Now, in this series, these parables are going to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. Not that I have, like, special revelation, it's all in scripture, but um, these, these parables that Jesus told reveal the secrets of the kingdom through uh, comparison with commonplace things in our life and in our world. Uh, These parables are going to show us just how different the kingdom of God is from what we think it should be. Um, But before we dive into the parable um, for today, uh, I I want to begin with a little interactive fun. Uh, Who here likes riddles? Anybody? No, one person. Awesome. Um, I have some riddles for us that I, again, I want you, I wanted this to be interactive, so if you know the answer, I want you to just shout it out. I have a few easy riddles, I have a medium riddle, and I have kind of a hard one. So um, the first one, what has to be broken before you can use it? Anyone know that? What? An egg. Yes, very good. That's the answer. An egg has to be broken before you can use it. Good job, Lori. So when I, when I, did this riddle with Titus, my son, he said a secret, and I was like, oh, that's, you're right on with that, but, um, but like, that's not the answer, so, um, second one, I'm tall when I'm young, I'm short when I'm old, what am I? Anyone know it? I'm tall when I'm young, I'm short when I'm old, Lori? The answer is, What? A pencil. Uh, I mean, that's close. I mean, same idea. It's a candle. A candle, right? When it's new, it's tall. When it, you know, as it burns, it gets old. It's, it's short. Uh, third one. What month of the year has 28 days? All of them, right? That's, pretty, that's a pretty uh, easy one. Okay, medium riddle. Medium riddle. What begins with an E and only contains one letter? An envelope, yes. Yeah, an envelope, very good. And now for the hard one. You guys ready? All right. With pointed fangs, I sit and wait. With piercing force, I crunch out fate. Grabbing victims, proclaiming might, physically joining with a single bite. What am I? What? Say it louder. A stapler, yes, very good, a stapler, a stapler. So some people love riddles. I am one of those people. I 
love riddles, not because I'm like good at them or smart or anything like that. I just, I see it as a challenge and I love puzzles. And a, a riddle is kind of like a word puzzle. And so um, I love riddles. Some people hate riddles. People who hate riddles usually like feel dumb, like riddles make them feel stupid or like embarrassed that something so simple like escape their mind, that kind of thing, right? Riddles can be confusing. Riddles can be frustrating, and riddles definitely are mysterious sometimes. Well, the parables, to me, are like long riddles. Parables are like long riddles, meant to make us think outside the box. They're meant to challenge us, challenge the way we think. And today, I want to look at the parable of the sower. But before we do that, would you pray with me this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. Um, Today, God, we open our hearts to you and to your word, and we just ask that you would speak to us clearly in a way that we would know it's you, and God, I pray that you would have your way um, and that we could know you just a little bit deeper today from your word. We ask these things in your name, God. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, we're going to start in verse 1. Um, but let me set the stage for you a little bit, little bit. We're getting ready to read the parable of the sower in Matthew. Um, there's three accounts of it. That Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8 all tell the parable of the sower, or some versions say the parable of the farmer. Um, now, to this point in the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus has been proclaimed Messiah by John the Baptist. Jesus has started teaching radical new things, radical in quotes, right? Um, He has cleansed lepers of their disease. He healed a paralytic uh, man. Uh, He raised a girl from the dead. He heals two blind men as um, signs of his Messiahship. And then we come to Matthew 13. And, and, He's becoming more and more popular, and his following is growing, and, and then he starts with this, this parable, kind of this, this long riddle. Matthew 13, verse 1. Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered, soon gathered around him, and he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant seeds, some versions might say a sower, went out to plant seeds and he scattered them across his field. Some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the the plants soon wilted under the hot sun and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So this is the very first lesson that Jesus teaches with uh, a parable. Um, and if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is usually a short, fictitious story. It's, it's not real. It's, it's fiction. It's made up that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And throughout Jesus' teachings, his his audience would change based on his message, right? Sometimes he would teach the multitude of people. Anybody that could hear, that's who he's teaching. And sometimes he would only teach his disciples. Sometimes he was teaching only Jews. Again, sometimes it was everybody, Jews, Gentiles, the whole thing, right? And with this story... 
This is an occasion where his target audience is everybody. It's anybody who can hear, right? Anybody with ears, you should listen, right? He says that. That's his target audience, everybody. So this parable, the sower, is considered the watershed moment in Jesus' ministry. It's considered the turning point where Jesus, like in, in the way Jesus starts teaching about God and what God is actually trying to accomplish. So to begin to understand what this parable means, we need to understand the imagery that Jesus is using, right? He's using the imagery of the farmer or the sower, right? I'll use those interchangeably. Scattering seeds amongst soil. A farmer scattering seeds amongst soil. And this is clearly an analogy, and Jesus explains what it means in the account uh, of Mark and Luke. He says this in Mark 14, or 4, 14, it says, The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. And in Luke 8, 11, it says, This is the meaning of the parable. Just very direct. The seed is God's word. So again, clearly, this is an analogy, and I don't think it's too hard to understand, but, but who the farmer represents, who the sower represents, can be confusing if we, don't, if we don't drill down into it. And I think many times we assume that the sower, the farmer, is Jesus, and that he, um, like we have in our minds an image of him, and then like ourselves as the church, like going and sprinkling something called the word of God in places that haven't received it yet when we read this. But to read it like that, I don't think really makes sense. To read it that Jesus is the sower and he's, he's sowing some kind of seed called the word of God, that doesn't really make sense. Um, to understand the parable, we have to understand what the scripture means when it's talking about the word of God. And to understand what it's talking about, when it's talking about the word of God, we have to look at what John chapter 1 verse 1 says. In the beginning was the, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus said the seed is the word of God. And John chapter 1 says the word of God is Jesus. The word of God is God. So the seed is Jesus. So who then do we identify as the sower? The sower is God the Father. The sower is God the Father. And if Jesus is the word, then then, um, in this parable it turns out that, that Jesus is the seed that's being sown. If the father is the sower, then Jesus is the seed that's being sown. But that means that on the plain terms of the parable, that Jesus has already been sown everywhere. Literally, he's already been sown everywhere according to this parable without a single bit of earthly cooperation or consent. And this is a wild thought for me. I'd never thought about that before. I'd never heard this before, but I, like, I didn't make this up. And the Apostle Paul confirms this, right? Romans chapter one, verse 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul says this, they, they being humans, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. He's everywhere. The seed has already been sown. His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Since the world was created, people could clearly see his divine nature. Jesus has already been sown everywhere in the world. Our job as Christ followers, as as disciples, as the church, our job is not to bring Jesus where he has not yet been received. That's not our job. He's already there. 
our job as Christ followers is to reveal the good news that Jesus is there. To reveal the good news that the word is here. To reveal the good news of what the word has done for them. So today there are a few observations I want to make about this parable. Um, a few observations I want, to, I want to talk about today. The first observation is the, about the mystery of it. The mystery of this parable. Last week I talked about right-handed power versus left-handed power and, and, and Jesus' ever-increasing preference to establish the kingdom of God on earth through the use of left-handed power. Right? It's, it's a mystery. Well, this is the first recorded parable that Jesus ever used to emphasize that fact. It emphasizes this left-handed, indirect power. So I, right now I want to shift. I want to look at the imagery of the seeds. What do the seeds represent, right? It represents the word of God. But why did Jesus use the image of seeds to explain the word of God has already gone forth? Well, think about it really quickly. Seeds are disproportionately small compared to what they produce. Seeds are disproportionately small compared to what they produce. Uh, I want to show you uh, some tomato seeds really quickly. There's going to be a slide. See how tiny, tiny Tomato seeds, tiny, but look what they yield. Show that picture. One tomato seed can yield a plant that produces up to 30 tomatoes. The seed is disproportionately small compared to what it produces. So seeds are tiny compared to what they produce, and this is the image Jesus uses to talk about the word of God or to talk about himself, right? To keep this analogy going, when you drop a seed into the ground, it almost seemingly disappears, right? It's so small, it almost disappears. And, and if I were a farmer, I'd look at it and be like, well, why did I plant anything? Like, there's, there's nothing there. Why did I plant anything, right? It, it, it doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like anything is going to happen. And, and then before the seed grows, it has to die, Right? I think Jesus' use of the seed in this parable is incredibly apt, and it foreshadows his death on the cross. So Pastor Ryan, are you saying that Jesus' life didn't have any impact? Of course not. Of course that's not what I'm saying. Um, Jesus's, what, I, what I am saying is that the impact Jesus' life had while he was walking around is small compared to what it produced. If that's jarring for you, Give me, stick with me, okay? I'm not, I'm not downplaying the impact Jesus had. Just stick with me. The impact Jesus' life had while he was walking around 2,000 years ago is small compared to what his post-resurrection impact has been since, right? Think, think about this. When Jesus was alive, he never traveled more than 90 miles, 90-mile diameter in, in Israel. Never. Never more than 90 miles. And uh, scholars theorize, scholars estimate that Jesus' uh, largest following at the height of his popularity was 500 people, okay? Think about now. The message of Jesus can reach anywhere in the world with the click of a button in seconds, right? M more than 90 miles, right? Anywhere in the world in seconds, and over 2.5 billion people in the world claim to follow Jesus, I would say that the impact of Jesus' life while he was walking around is disproportionately small compared to what it has produced. The, the, the image of the seed is incredibly apt. 
And Jesus himself even told us this would be the case, right? John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, this is the words of Jesus, says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Many people take this to mean like, oh, we're gonna do like crazy miracles or something like that. What Jesus actually means is you're gonna have a greater impact than I had. You're gonna have a greater impact than I had because I, I'm one person on, on this earth and I can only take the message so far, but you are gonna grow and you're gonna pr- you know, produce and yield like a ton of, of, of crops, right? To go along with this, this farmer analogy. Again, I'm not minimizing the impact Jesus had. I'm emphasizing, I'm emphasizing what his impact produced. His impact, was dis, dis, uh, his impact of his life was disproportionately small compared to what he produced. The analogy of the seed is incredibly accurate. It's mysterious. The next observation I want to make today is about actuality. What actually happened or what is actually being claimed? If you, if you thought that last part was kind of hard to wrap your head around, this might be even more difficult, so just buckle up, but I promise. Uh, it's... It's good stuff. So the seed actually does all the work. That's the, that's the, the reality. That's the actual like, claim that the parable is, is trying to make. The seed does all the work of the growth. Now, that's a strange statement when you think about farming now, like I, I came from Nebraska, right? So farming's a big part of the culture there. And I know like a normal farmer spends January and February like looking at seed catalogs. And a normal farmer spends March tilling and fertilizing the ground. And a normal farmer spends April and May like planting seeds. And then a normal farmer will spend the rest of the summer watering those seeds. And then hopefully there's a harvest in the fall, right? Like that's, that's what a normal farmer would do. But the sower in the parable isn't shown doing any of this stuff. The sower doesn't do any of that. It just says that the sower spreads the seeds. The so, there's no preparation from the sower. He just spreads the seeds. In the parable, Jesus tells the sower just spreads the seeds. And, and Jesus tells it like this on purpose. If he would have made any claims about the sower preparing the, the ground for the seeds, and any, it, would have, it would have caused people to think, it would have caused us to think that there needed to be some other action taken place by the sower for the seeds to actually have effectiveness. But the seeds do all the work in the parable. The seeds do all the work of the growth. They are fully in action in and of themselves at every step in the story. The word of God is fully in action now. I'll give you um, some examples of the seeds constantly being at work in the parable. Uh, Let's look at the seeds that fall on the road, right? They fall on the footpath and they're eaten by the birds. At first glance, we might think like, oh man, wasted seed, right? I wish the sower... I wish the sower would have been more careful about where he put the seed, oh, the wasted seed, right? Oh, even if the birds didn't eat it, it's not going to grow on a footpath, right? It's going to get trampled and all that, right? But seeds have more uses than just yielding crops. Seeds are they're attractive to birds. Seeds are nutritious fruit or fruit, nutritious food for, for many animals. We quite literally use seeds to season our food. Seeds have more use than yielding crops. 
They're very useful. Uh, And to add a little more mystery to this parable, he says the bird represents the evil one. The bird represents the devil. You might be thinking, oh, poor birds, right? Like, why would they be compared to the devil? But, like, stick with me. Matthew 13, 19. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The evil one comes and snatches away the seed. Think about this really quickly. In, in the parable, the bird recognizes the seed for what it is, even when the ground that it fell on doesn't. The devil recognizes the word of God for what it is, even when people don't. The devil recognizes the power of the word of God, even when we don't. And think about this. When a bird eats seed, that's actually nature's way of ensuring that the seed is distributed far and wide. If you don't know what I mean, um, when a bird eats seed, it will eventually excrete it out. Uh, not trying to be crude, uh, trying to just paint a picture. It'll eventually excrete it out. Um, and, and when this bird excretes the seed, it actually fertilizes the seed and it grows. This is nature's way of ensuring the seed is distributed. Likewise, the power of the word of God is not diminished when the devil tries to use it for his own purposes. The power of the word of God is not diminished when the devil tries to use it for his own purposes. The word, like the seed, still works on its own terms. That's power. That's power. And in that vein, uh, think about the seed that fell on the other three pieces of ground, right? The, the thorny ground, the rocky ground, and the, the well-prepared ground. In all three circumstances, the seed does its proper reproductive work. In all three circumstances, the seed grows a plant. All three circumstances. But yes, there are differences in the, the um, results of the work of the seed in those three, but the seed still does its work. What we need to understand is that the results of the work in no way means the power of the seed is dependent on the circumstance. The result of the work of the seed no way means the power of that seed is dependent on the circumstance. That's power. The seed actually does all the work. What does this mean? It means that circumstances don't have to be perfect for the word of God to be effective in your life. Circumstances don't have to line up just the right way for the power of God to manifest in your life. You don't have to wind yourself up to some acceptable level of morality before the power of God is evident in your life. The power of God works in spite of the circumstances. That's power. The seed actually does the work. So I talked about the mystery. I talked about the actuality. It's, you know, what's actually happening, what the claims are actually being made is. Now I want to talk about hostility and response. Hostility and response. In this parable that Jesus told, there's the sower, there's the seed, there's also the soil, right? And opposition and adversity are just as much soil as acceptance and belief is. Opposition 
and adversity is just as much soil as acceptance and belief is. The idea that the kingdom of God, uh, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed in hostile environments is written all throughout the New Testament. The kingdom of God being proclaimed in hostile environments is written all over the New Testament. Whether we look at demons who recognize Jesus for who he is, the kingdom for, for what it is, or we, we look at the religious establishment who refuse to look at it for what it is. It's all over the New Testament. Opposition and, and adversity to the word is also soil. But whatever the results of that opposition the devil has no power against the word of God. The devil has no power over the word of God. That means that nobody can ever take us away from the love of God and Jesus. There is no power that can conquer that. There is no power that can remove that. Not the devil, not the world, not the flesh, not even ourselves. Nothing can remove us from the love of God in Jesus. There is no way literally in hell, that we could ever be removed from the love of God. No way ever. So that's hostility. And then we come to the response of the seed, right? The responses to the seeds, uh, the ways in which the different soils interact with the seeds, right? The, the different soils in this parable represent the different human behavior in response to the word of God. And the responses in the parable are not about whether or not the word achieves its purposes. The responses in the parable are about whether or not we'll enjoy what the word has already achieved or if we'll find ourselves in opposition to it. The whole purpose of the coming of the, the word of God into the world is to produce people in whom the power of the kingdom um, will bear fruit. Uh, the, the entire purpose of the coming of the word of God is to produce people who bear the fruit of the kingdom. I want to look at uh, the thorny soil for a moment. Matthew thirteen seven. it says, the other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant. The seeds turned into plants. Every situation, except the one with the birds, right, where the birds ate the seed, the three, the three, uh, types of ground, the thorny soil, the rocky soil, the well-prepared soil, all three of those situations, the seeds turned into plants, all three of them. Not all three of them yielded crops, though. Not all th three of them bear, uh, bore fruit, though. They didn't, um, the one on the thorny soil didn't produce any fruit. The failure to, listen, the failure to bear fruit isn't the seed's fault. The failure to bear fruit isn't the seed's fault. The failure to bear fruit is the plant's refusal to come to full maturity. That's hard. If we see ourselves as the plant. The failure to bear, fru bear fruit is the plant's refusal to come to full maturity. The entire purpose of the coming of the word into the world is to produce people who bear the fruit of the kingdom. That's the entire purpose of Jesus coming. Is to produce people who bear the fruit of the kingdom. If people don't produce the fruit of the kingdom, that's not because the word of God didn't do his job. That's not because Jesus failed. It's because the people refused to come to full maturity in Christ. 
this is a hard word. This is a hard word. I am looking in a mirror right now. This is hard for me to hear as I say this right now. The failure to bear fruit means that we fail to come to f- f- uh, full maturity. It means we fail to become, who, to become who God created us to be. So what is the, the fruit of the kingdom of God? It's a good question. If you're, if you're asking that, it's a good question. What is the fruit of the kingdom of God? If we're supposed to produce this fruit, what is that fruit? Well, we can find the answer in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, here we find a distinction between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the kingdom. Galatians 5, 19 through 23 say this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, There are no laws against these. The works of the flesh are disastrous character traits that result from trying to achieve the fullness of life in our own way. Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. This is what happens when we don't allow the word to bring us to full maturity. The fruits of the spirit or the fruits of the kingdom are the results of simply allowing the word of God to grow in your life with the the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Worship team, you can come to the platform. The goal Um, isn't for us to accomplish anything. Like being a Christ follower or, you know, wearing the title Christian or however you want to categorize yourself. Like the goal isn't for us to accomplish anything. The, the, The seed does all the work, remember? The word of God has already accomplished his work. We don't have to accomplish anything. So what, so what's the goal? What does this parable mean? We're supposed to be people who bear fruit. That's the goal. Bear the fruit of the kingdom. Bear the fruit of the kingdom. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're supposed to allow the word of God to work in us in such a way that we bear the fruit of the kingdom of God. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we people in whom the power of the kingdom of God will bear fruit? Am I a person in whom the power of the kingdom of God will bear fruit? That's a difficult question to ask. It's even harder to hear an honest answer sometimes. But it's a necessary question if we want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus talks about. 
The parable of the sower sets a goal for us. It's not about amassing good deeds. It's not about doing, 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 right? It's about experiencing the fullness of, of life as the word of God, as Jesus bestows it upon us. Which it's fitting because this parable is told by the word himself. His ultimate concern, his being Jesus with this parable, is that you and I are reconciled to the Father and that we might one day be taken to the Father's house. That's his concern. He wants us to be whole. That's his concern. And the parable of the sower tells us that he'll make us whole if we don't get in his way. See, because God's the perfect gentleman. He's never going to make you do anything. He's never going to tell you you have to do anything. He's going to wait for your invitation. He wants to make you whole, but he needs your permission first. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We, we thank you for this, this word. And I just ask God, if this was difficult to receive or if it was confusing, if it was frustrating, I pray, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring understanding. It doesn't matter how well I teach it. True revelation comes from your spirit, God. And so I pray right now that you would give each and every one of us fresh revelation of this parable right now in the name of Jesus. God, thank you that you've already done all the work. Thank you that our goal isn't to accomplish anything. Our goal is to bear the fruit of the kingdom. Our goal is to be people in whom the power of your kingdom will, will bear fruit. God, thank you that you long to make us whole. And I pray, God, that I would stay out of your way, that we would stay out of your way as, as you do your work of making us whole. We love you, God. We thank you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Really quickly, um, if, if this was confusing today, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to confuse. Like I said, the parables are confusing. They're frustrating. They're mysterious. I want to encourage you. Don't just take my word for it. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit for revelation about this parable because... Again, the secrets of the kingdom of God are wrapped up in the parables of Jesus. He wants to reveal them to you, but it comes through revelation from the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah, what I want to do right now is I just want to take a few moments to, to respond to the message today. I, I don't want to rush through this moment. I, I want to ask everyone to, to not leave just yet, but um, let's not rush through this moment. Let's respond to what the Spirit of God is doing um, you can stand and sing, you can sit, you can pray, you can meditate on what you just, whatever you need to do to respond, do that. But let's take a few moments, a few minutes, it's just going to be a few minutes, and let the, the Spirit do His work. Worship team, lead us this morning. Before I pray and dismiss, um, I have a few next steps that I want to um, challenge us with this week, and these next steps are just... Um, tangible ways to take the message and try to apply it to our lives this week. So um, the first one is this week, 
I will memorize Matthew 13, 8, which says, still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. The goal, that's the goal, to be people in whom the, the power of the kingdom of God will bear fruit. The next one is, this week I will pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me produce the fruits of the Spirit in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's nine. You don't have to start with all nine. God, give me all nine. That's, that's overwhelming. Start with one. God, help me love somebody better this week. Help me love people better. Or, or maybe it's, God, help me find joy in every situation. Or maybe it's, God, give me your peace this week. Let me live in your peace. Whatever it is, pick one and pray about it every day. And then finally, this week, I'll read the parable of the lamp. This is our next parable that we're talking about next week, the parable of the lamp and the growing seeds. So, um, yeah, let me say one last prayer and we can be dismissed this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. We thank you for the ability to gather freely and, and worship. Thank you. I pray, God, that we would come to know you more deeply and we would come to understand your kingdom a little bit, a little bit better through this series. We love you, God. We thank you. And finally, May you always abide in the love of Christ. May you bear the fruit of the kingdom of God and may you produce a harvest a hundred times as much as been planted. Amen and amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.